This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 31 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Casual Products, and Bait Saddles. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the Retired Racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption. On today's show, we are learning all about bloodlines. David and Gordo joins us to share a day in his life as a bloodstock agent at Lane's End. Caitlin Bradley from the Western Thoroughbred comes on to share a history lesson of great thoroughbred sires who have left their influence on the sport. And New Vocations brings us another adoptable horse of the week. It's going to be packed. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Hills from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. How's it going, Joy? How's it been? Oh, it's been great. We're all surviving um, 18,000 years of quarantine. (laughs) Um, right. It's been fun. Oh my gosh. When is 2020 going to end? You know, what is amazing is as many horses as new vocations has, and as many horses as I see at, uh, that come in for training from horse and hound rescue, Mm -hmm. people are adopting horses like crazy. It's like they have, they're like, it's time. Life is short. Get the horses, get all the horses. Have you noticed that? I know. I thought it'd be like very stressful for any adoption group right now. And it has been just the opposite. It's like people like, well, we're all dying anyway. So let's impulse buy. I just want to get the horse. Hey, get three, fill the trailer, like fill the trailer. Why not? Man, I'm like, I'm running out of horse. They're all just going to great homes and I'm super oh, thrilled. Amazing. Yeah. So it's good. It's, business is good for, for the adoptable horse. So we're going to highlight one coming up a little bit later. And David and Gordo is our guest and he is a big deal. Joy. Good job getting him. He's, um, I don't know, maybe the guy who bought Zenyatta for his owners, like oh, yeah. Zenyatta, all of the top names, really, if you really think about it, it's just a yeah. uh, wicked style. Oh, come uh-huh. Like this guy knows talent. So I'm really excited to pick his brain and see what he looks for in these horses. So that'll be really cool. Hey, before we get to our first guest, I have to ask you, did you watch the virtual Kentucky Derby race with the triple crown winners? Yes. Oh my gosh. How cool has technology gotten that even in spite of everything going on right now, we could still enjoy a derby and of all the triple crown winners. I gotta say, I gotta say. First of all, spoiler alert, Secretary won. And obviously, he holds the track record, so he should have won. But what I, I don't know if everybody noticed, but not only did he win it, he won the entire race on his right lead. Like, he was, they didn't yeah. switch leads the whole time, and I was so frustrated. But most of their horses were on the left lead, and he was on the right lead, and he still won. Boom, mic drop. Way to go, Secretary. <laughs> you know what else? They didn't look like the Barbie riding horses. No offense. Don't come at us. But at least for the most part, it, it looked pretty good. There are some things, though, that uh, those graphic editors could 
could research beforehand. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm such a nerd that like I noticed that the horses <laughs> didn't switch leads. And it was so irritating to watch him come around the turn on the wrong lead. I'm like, secretary never would have done that. <laughs> very but, true, but a very neat experience for sure. And gave us something to be excited about and something to look forward to for the fall when we have our fall version of the Kentucky Derby in real life. So, so just, exciting. Just, just so you know, my mother-in-law, she said, we were talking about the virtual horse race and she's like, mm, so did they take into account the horse's current age? Like if they're running and, um, and how old they are now. And when they did, I was like, Oh, no. you, you know, only two of them are alive, right? <laughs> She's <laughs> like, what? I was like, they'd be like 120. <laughs> so no, they did not take into account their age. She was like, did they slow them down due to their ages? <laughs> like, oh my God. Ask a non-horse person a horse question. It's always entertaining. Well, hey, let's go ahead and get to our first guest. But first, let's hear from our title sponsor. Without them, we wouldn't be here. Kentucky Performance Products. Vitamin E is a powerful antioxidant that supports healthy muscle and nerve function by limiting cellular damage. Green grass is the best source of vitamin E for horses, but most horses don't spend enough time grazing to meet their needs. Hay, grain, and winter pasture provide little to no natural vitamin E. To ensure your horse's vitamin E requirements are met, choose Elevate. Elevate contains a readily available source of natural vitamin E. Elevate is cost-effective and easy to feed. To learn more about Elevate, visit the Kentucky Performance Products website at kppusa.com. I am so pleased and proud to have on David Engordo, who is the bloodstock manager at Lane's End. But you didn't start there. You, you, I don't know. It's like you're bred to be around racehorses. <laughs> David, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, and that's that's about as true a statement as you can have. I don't know that my parents set out to breed me for this job, but I think that's what happened. <laughs> I, I mean, my gosh, you started working for Bobby Frankel. I read at the age of fourteen, and then you were his assistant trainer by eighteen. I mean, what what led you to work for Bobby Frankel at fourteen years of age? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I had no idea you guys would be calling me, but last night I was down in Ocala in my hotel room and I was watching the 1989 Kentucky Derby where Sunday Silence oh. won. And I was, I was 13 at the time and my 14th birthday is May 15th for argument's sake. That Derby was on May 2nd or 4th or whatever it was. And <clears throat> my, I, I fell in love with it from there. I mean, I was around it my whole life to that stage, but you know, when you're pressured, your your mom or your dad or my grandma in this case, and I was like, you got to go into horses. And I didn't really want to. And, um, and at a young age, they were encouraging me. And that derby win by Sunday silence, because my, my real father passed away, was P-Val's agent. And, you know, my parents basically raised P-Val with me. Um, he was older, obviously, but I grew up with him. And so it was a big, big deal. And the next day when my parents got back from Louisville, I was watching at home in California in Arcadia, right by Santa Anita. And I, I said, okay, I want to do this. And my, my real father's best friend, Bobby was one of them, but I called him uncle Laz and I was going to go work for Laz. And my mother ran Bobby Frankel's business and was like, you know, Bobby was part of the family too. And so when Laz passed away, um, there's a guy named Umberto Escano, who was Bobby's longtime assistant, main man. And he said, well, 
we, you know, it's a shame Roz passed away, but we wanted to work with us anyway. And I started there uh, May 15th on my 14th birthday. I had a special permit from the state of California, which you probably couldn't get today. <laughs> and uh, I went to work and, and it's the rest is history. Well, it's funny that that Kentucky Derby inspired you because that's what got me started in the love of racehorses as well. Because Easy Goer, who raced against Sunday Silence and ended up beating him in the Belmont, is uh, after seeing that, I wanted a chestnut with a star. I was like, I want an off the track thoroughbred and I want to train him to do things, not but not racing. And here we are years later hosting Retired Racehorse Radio. And I, I did get an Easy Goer lookalike and I'm still searching for the Sunday silence look alike. They're hard to come by. They're hard to come by. That's for sure. <laughs> well, th- uh, th- now let's go to your current job because working with Bobby Frankel probably taught you more about kind of the eye for horses. Did you ever imagine you'd be doing what you're doing now, which is you're a blood agent for one of the if not the greatest farms in the country, in my opinion, and the the place that houses my favorite mare of all time, Zenyatta. Um, you know, so when I started out um, at the track, and I and I ended up, I wasn't going to go to college. And my mother, who's pretty influential in her own right, and has a a resume that most people would kill for. She, a little known fact is, I don't know how many degrees she has, but she has several. And, um, Bobby, and there was a guy named Al Schweitzer who was an old time rider for him. And my dad were there and I'd, you know, been accepted to a lot of colleges. I went to a very good prep school in California and actually it it may not seem like it, but I was, I was actually a pretty well educated kid. (laughs) I would tease people because if you know me, you're like, really? The guy can read and write. But, um, so I wasn't going to go to college and my mother found out and she said, uh, no, you're going to Kentucky or, you know, excuse me, you're going to go to college. I said, well, I want to work with horses. She said, that's fine. You can go to Kentucky. You can work on the farm in the morning. And I worked at Jedmont farms in the morning. And then I would go to university in the afternoon when I, when I went, I wasn't the greatest college student, but I did graduate. And while I was there, I sort of, you know, began to like the farm life. I was around, it was really interesting. I was around two side at the racetrack and I was around two side as a broodmare. When I was at Judmont, her first goal was Chester House, um, and I actually worked with him all the way till he was a stallion and was there the day we put him down. And in hindsight, wow. you know, this great circle of life, I saw him born, and I, I was there the day he was put down, and I saw his racing career in between and stallion career. So all this, you know, was sort of germinating with me <clears throat> in the in the back of my mind. And while I was in college, my father passed away, and I introduced my mother to John Sheriffs, and so we had a couple of trainers in the family. Um, a good family friend was John Sadler, so we had lots of trainers. And even though that was really sort of my dream, I thought, you know what, that's uh, there's not a lot of room at the table for that job in my <laughs> in my life. What could I do differently mm-hmm. and sort of be an adjunct to them? So I, I started with the farms and. Out of college, I went to work at a place called Walmack, and then I would help when Bobby chip horses in or things would happen. I would help out, so I didn't lose my sort of thumb on in that part of it. But mm-hmm. um, it, it, I got very fortunate because what I did, and, and it's it's been a path of mine and a what called a formula. But one of my plays I follow when I started buying horses when I was 21 on my own, 
I borrowed some money from the bank, which I would not recommend to anybody. <laughs> do as I started, but do as I say, I not as I do. And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, and um, well, you know, when you're younger, you're too dumb to know some some things. But I borrowed some money from the bank, and uh, and Steve Cawson, who wrote Affirmed, was on the bank board, and I was working for his brother at a place called Walmack, and so I got my loan uh, from a bank up in Northern Kentucky, and <clears throat> I bought three weanlings that were all by horses that we had at Bobby's. So the one that stood out was a horse called run softly. I bought a baby by him. I sold it. I made very little money, but it gave me a resume because the one horse won a grade three. Uh, his name was running tide and it kind of, you know, now I had a resume, you know, you, you proved you could do this, um, which a lot of people can't prove it. You know, they have to get somebody to give them an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I just said the heck with it. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it on my own. And as time went on and, you know, people that knew me and, and my mom was Jerry Moss's racing manager. So, you know, they gave me a chance and it was around nine 11, um, that sale period, it was a bad time, but we bought a couple of good horses at that sale and, and it just started to go. And, you know, we bought Zenyatta, I think when I was 29. So we did all that before, um, you know, Zenyatta was like, so the year I was 29, I think. So we did all that to get going. And in the meantime, um, you know, I just developed a love for the sales, the buying and selling of horses, um, with the Mayberries, I set up a training center in Ocala to sort of get the babies ready. We bought and, you know, Bobby called me one day and he said, well, you got to come back to work. And I'm like, well, okay, what's that look like? He said, you got to buy the horses but you got to come back to work. And, you know, when I retire, you can take things over and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, that's a good deal. And then sick and ended up passing away. And it was, so that was a a little bit of a turning point because I think if he would have stayed alive, I would have, you know, gone to work with him. We would have been doing, you know, Lord knows what would have been going on, what level he, you know, what could have happened then he might be, we might've trained as many triple crowners as Baffert if we've been doing something like that. But, right. you know, so I, I just diverged into the sales and buying and, you know, John Sheriff's was John Sheriff's when, when I met him, but his you know, legend grew with Zenyatta and Giacomo and all that. And, you know, he's still got it going on out there with some of the horses. He, he tends to get these fan favorite horses. It's amazing. Um, he's yeah. got hard not to love and now honor AP and horses like that. So it, it's worked out that, you know, between him and Sadler and, you know, they, they don't need another trainer. <laughs> it's it's working out for, for everybody. I got to talk to you about Zenyatta yeah. because one thing about when she was kind of a rising star, everybody was talking about how at the sale, she didn't look like much and that they, they got her pretty cheap. And I mean, $60,000 isn't cheap in my world, but it could be in, in horse races. What about her stood out to you and said, that's the one. You know, so when you, you work with trainers, I have to take a step back to answer that question. Um, it's like any athletic coach. A trainer is a coach at the end of the day. And you have to have players that fit their system. So, you know, I'm a Kentucky fan. You're not going to have guys that can't run the floor going to, you know, under Calipari. Or you're not going to have guys that can't shoot from the outside if you're with Patino. With John Sheriffs, you're not going to send him this little squatty quarter horse. He's going to want something big, rangy, two turns, 
know, a lot of his success has been with mares like Manistique, 17 hands. You know, he likes a bigger horse. Mm-hmm. And Zenyatta had this big frame, um, you know, had all the parts there. And she just was a plain brown wrapper at the time. Um, she did have skin disease, which everybody knows the story. And, you know, and, and when you're going through these barns, you know, people that shortlist, they, their job is to throw horses off or, you know, weed through the, the chaff to get to the best, you know, individuals. And, you know, myself and the, the people I work with, we're, we're very, you know, we have a broad palette. There's a lot of good horses that, that come big, raw boned horse that just needed some time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we got her and, and it, I thought I bought the wrong horse. I've told the story before too. Um, the day before, um, actually for a famous basketball coach, a trainer bought the wrong horse for half a million dollars. And I heard the story and he got stuck with the horse. So when we were going to go bid on hip 703, I think she was, um, you know, my mom said, go to 250, 200, 250. I said, yeah, at least, you know, okay. And I got her for 60. I said, son of a gun. Did I buy the wrong horse? Because <laughs> um, no. we anticipated her to bring more money. So I, right. I kind of ran around and the guys chased me with the ticket. And David, come here, you got to sign this. I'm like, hold on, hold on. And I saw her head and her face and the blaze. I said, oh, okay. I'm all right. I got the right horse. Like, and I signed the table. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, I think I bought the wrong horse, but I didn't. Okay. And signed <laughs> it. And, you know, the rest is, is history. And it was very gratifying to be part of it with my parents and, you know, Mr. Moss, who gave me an opportunity and I've known since. You know, Lord knows how young I was when I first met him. And, and you know, it, it was very, you know, it was cool the whole way around. And he's such a unique horse. And, you know, in, in today's world where we need more John Sheriffs and horsemen like that and horsewomen mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, you're never going to catch him in the FBI scandal. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, right. he's what our game needs. And right. hopefully, you know, so another animal horse you know philly mayor colt whatever comes along like that um for our game because we need we need stories like that she was an amazing story I and mean, you couldn't couldn't make it up with a book you know no i mean it's just it's incredible and uh, we were talking earlier about the uh triple crown kentucky derby that was just on and uh was there any reason that secretariat should not win that race <laughs> I was trying to figure out how they did the the simulation and, and I was, I don't know. Right. But I'm watching where all the horses were. And I kind of back and watch some other races to see where they were in their races. And it looks like somehow they must've run the simulation to have the horses have their running styles and they must have had fractional times on where each one was, but yeah, secretary was the lock of the century there, I thought. <laughs> and he won the whole thing on his right lead, which was pretty impressive. <laughs> no, no, yep, about yep. one person did a lead change. Yep, exactly. And then there were some of them getting out pretty bad that I don't think uh, they would have in real life either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been awesome to uh, talk to you, David. I I would love to call you back and, and pick your brain a little bit more about <clears throat> kind of what you, uh, how about this? Tell, tell me one thing that you is like a, a complete deal breaker for you looking at a horse. And one thing that is a complete, th- a must have when you are looking at horses to buy. Um. I could tell you where I've been 
where I've seen, you know, we all have like a Parthenon in our mind of the top horses we've ever personally seen. And it could be, you know, you, you might have some off the track retired horses that you remember that you thought were special. You know, I, I remember when I went to Judmont and they brought empire maker out of it, out of the stalls at two years old, he had never left the farm. And I said, Holy cow, this is one of the finest animals I've ever seen. I, I remember seeing Medaglia oil for the first time and thinking, Holy cow, this is a fine animal. Um, you know, Zenyatta, I can, you know, when she started to turn the corner to be who she was, you could see it was there. Um, honor code. I saw him as a yearling. Oh, and I said, it. holy cow, there is not much like this I've ever seen. And, you know, so you, you start seeing these horses over time and they all have a presence. Um, they all have a, a look. The look can be slightly different. You know, Empire Maker is more length to him. He's like a big panther, you know, when he walk. It is big, long, slinky walk, big shoulder. But like a longer, you know, more tubular horse, whereas mm-hmm. like Honor Code was just this Adonis. I mean, big shoulder, big butt, deep girth, jet black, you know, just, but they all have the presence. They all look like, you know, they are the one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a horse called Santa Catalina in the Baffer train. She was buying bridled. I saw her as a yearling down at the Claiborne consignment, and I didn't have enough money to buy her. She brought 900. But she was when I saw her come out. I said, man, this is, this is, this is it right here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, as you go around, you see these horses and it comes from seeing them at the track first. I, I think then you can project down into the younger horses, what they need to look like to eventually be these better ones. Right. So, um, that was my big advantage, but it's just a presence and it's a balance and it's an athleticism. I don't see any good horses. You might see something at Fauner Park or, you know, somewhere when that, that doesn't look like a relation to the kind of horses we're talking about, mm-hmm. but the ultra elite horses, um, they look like movie you know, stars. I, I, yeah. And you know, like I, I, you know, I'm watching charlatan run now and I don't really remember him from the yearling. So I have to say I've been kicking myself because, um, I raced his mother with Padua stables. Personally, I owned her, we raised her. I bought her as a yearling. And she was that kind of horse, you know, she was, she was a star from the first day I saw her, I actually bought her mother as well. So, you know, I liked, it's a family I knew and here's this horse. And I could tell you what farm I was at when I saw her the first time, what barn, and she was the goods then. And they, they have it, you know, they have the wow factor, the it factor, the uh, confidence, and, you know, yeah, they have to stay sound and jump through the hoops, obviously. But, um, you know, that's what I look for. They have to have the presence to go with their athleticism. And, you know, then you can pick them apart from there. None of them are perfect. But the if a horse now, what I don't want, if they walk out and they got a bad attitude and, you know, they just don't, they look, un, I don't know if it's disingenuine or ungenuine or common, you know, is it the easiest mm-hmm. word. They don't look the part and they got a bad attitude. And, you know, they just, it's like a person that you know is, you know, just not, not got their heart in it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you can't get the best out of somebody like that. And I, I, when I see horses like that, I just have no interest. That's fascinating. That is not the answer I thought I was going to hear. So that's cool. Well, David, yeah. as, as always, thank you so much for, for joining us. And I hope we can have you back on again very soon. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. 
Yeah, thanks. Good, good job with all the work you guys do with the horse off the track and stuff. And uh, anything we can ever do to help you, let me know. Okay, well, uh, then if that's the case, I, um, I'll take Zenyatta when she retires. I'll be happy <laughs> to give her a good home. It's fly time. Protect your equine friends with Cashel Company's full line of chemical-free fly protection. The Cashel Company's Crusader Fly Mask has a patented design for maximum comfort and protection from insects and blocks 70% of UV rays. Available in an array of styles and sizes, Cashel Company's Crusader line of fly protection is a chemical-free alternative to fly sprays that can contain chemicals. They're expensive. They don't last for long periods of time the crusader line by cashel company can protect your horse from head to toe available in fly mask fly sheets and fly boots y'all why are you messing around these are the best this is the best brand cashel is the brand the boots alleviate pressure from their leg soft tissue that's the cashel company's crusader leg guards it's a unique adjustable design that helps reduce stomping caused by insect induced stressed and fits any horse in the barn. For more information on Cashel products, visit one of their nationwide authorized dealers or visit cashelcompany.com, cashelcompany.com, or stay connected by following them on Facebook and Instagram. So I'm super excited to have Caitlin Bradley on with us from the Western Thoroughbred. She's been on our show before. And as we're talking bloodlines, I don't know about you, Jamie, if you've seen on OTTB Connect, everyone's saying, oh, who has a secretariat uh, breeding or Seattle Slough or Stormcat. You see it all the time. But Caitlin actually wrote an article on her blog about uh, a forethought who is a thoroughbred that actually had a lot of influence in the Western world. So I think it's going to be really exciting to bring him in and talk to Caitlin a little bit about that. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, it's always great to talk about Western thoroughbreds. I just love all, everything you guys are promoting with that right now. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you went in this history dive into these thoroughbred sires who've influenced Western horses. What sparked that? So I guess it sparked from a place of annoyance when I used to go to barrel races with my thoroughbreds uh, you know, people would ask questions and a lot of their questions ended up being condescending and they didn't realize that the horses that they were on had a very high percentage thoroughbred as well. So while I may have been on a horse registered with the jockey club, their American quarter horses registered with the HUHA may have had 50 to 75% thoroughbred, and they just didn't realize it. So to kind of break down those walls and stop the annoying questions, I kind of started <laughs> researching. <laughs> I started researching as much as I could and then just putting that out there for people to read, hoping that maybe the people that needed to see it most would. So this whole thing came from started. an effort effort for you to say, suck it. That that's is true. Crazy. Knowledge <laughs> is power. Knowledge is power. And I support. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess saying suck it in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you land on a forethought? What stood out about him? 
So I actually have a long list of horses in my phone, probably over a hundred. And anytime I come across a pedigree for a quarter horse that has a thoroughbred in it, I write that horse down and store it away and hope that one day I will find a photo and more information about them and have time to write. Because I think that there's a ton of horses that are deserving of being recognized that we've kind of forgotten about. And a forethought, uh, he's pretty special because he comes from absolute thoroughbred royalty and he made a big impact in the racing and barrel racing industries in the HUHA world. So pretty neat. Uh, he is actually a full brother to a horse called Tawi. And she, uh, I believe she's on the list of the top 100 thoroughbred racehorses of last century. So she's pretty uh, accomplished. And he's also a half brother to Dr. Fager, who was an incredible sprinter. So he couldn't have been bred better for thoroughbred racing, but he was kind of a flunk and he ended up um, catching the eye of quarter horse breeders and the rest is history. That's pretty interesting. I'm like looking at the pictures that you found too. And I'm like, this is a chunky horse. Like this is not what I think of when I think of a modern day racehorse. You know, he's got that quarter horse look and it's kind of hard to even imagine you know, if I saw him, you just brought that picture, I would not guess he is a thoroughbred. I wouldn't. And it's funny you say that because I like to tell people all the time when they bring up that, you know, this thoroughbred looks like a quarter horse. If you think about it, quarter horses are actually the ones that look like thoroughbreds because from the very beginning, let's say the 1800s before the jockey club was established in the United States and long before the American quarter horse association, the two kind of arose from the same stock here in the United States. Mm -hmm. So that's the root of some of their similarities. But further than that, even after the American quarter horse association was established, uh, thoroughbreds continued to be super influential in that breeding and a few quarter or a few thoroughbreds were actually registered as full quarter horses mm -hmm. and many to this day are still regularly interbred so we see that recently with into mischief and my totally being offered to uh, quarter horse mares but that actually happens all the time and there's thoroughbreds all over mostly in the southern United States that tend to stand to both thoroughbreds and quarter horse mares, but we, we see it all over. So pretty cool. Absolutely fascinating. I, I think it's wonderful personally, because I also get annoyed when I see the, the quarter horse people who are like, oh, it's just a thoroughbred, can't compete. And I was like, you're on a thoroughbred, basically, at the end of the day, <laughs> yes, you start to backtrack it. So essentially is, they are. Yes. <laughs> What is the benefit then of having that thoroughbred blood? If I mean, you're a barrel racer yourself. What's the benefit of having that in there compared to just, you know, your, what most people think of as a quarter horse? Well, and even what most people think of as a quarter horse is still going to be anywhere from, say, 25 to 50% thoroughbred in eight generations. 
So the ones that tend to have least the least amount of thoroughbred breeding, we usually refer to them as being cowbred because they that's the lines they come from is like cutting horse lines or on um, you know the types that were used more traditionally on ranches and maybe didn't have as much thoroughbred influence. Mm-hmm. And the horses they tend to be um, very turny, they tend to be really catty, but they sometimes lack the speed. So a lot of people right now are very hot on the cow race bread combo. And that gives you the speed that you need between the barrels and also enough turn. So I'd say the the benefit to having the race blood in there is the addition of the speed and the athleticism. But on a full-blooded thoroughbred, you're not necessarily lacking any of the turn and the cattiness if you know what to look for. And it may take a little longer for you to find the exact horse you're looking for, and it may take a little bit more time in developing that. But um, on a full-blooded thoroughbred, you're definitely not lacking speed, and you can um, definitely train them to be just as catty as anything else out there. Interesting. So when you're looking for, you know, you're off the tracks that you're bringing along for this, are there bloodlines that you look out for in particular? I I try to. Um, I really enjoy the more sprint bred horses. Those tend to have those that fast twitch muscle composition you need for starting quick and stopping quick and raiding around a turn. So anything that's sprint bred or had success um, racing short is something good to look for. Now, horses that I tend to see do really well in barrel racing that are full-blooded thoroughbred would be anything uh, Swiss yodeler. He um, passed away. He stood in California, but you see some um, sport horses by him, and it seems like every single barrel horse I've seen um, by Swiss Yodeler is pretty exceptional. And then another one would be Salt Lake. Uh, he also stood out West, uh, just an absolutely incredibly beautiful horse. If you ever look him up, him, he just passed away a few years ago too, but he, um, also covered quarter horse mares. So that's something I also look for. If, uh, Stallion is covering quarter horse mares. That's a pretty good indication that there's something quarter horse breeders like about them. (laughs) And they'll probably be athletic enough to do a Western uh, sport as well. So um, Salt Lake, he actually, yeah, and and Salt Lake actually still has his son standing at the Four Sixes Ranch, which is one of the most famous. ranches in the nation and his son Sixes Country has won some really big awards in AQHA roping and uh, they actually used to stand a full thoroughbred by Salt Lake that he unfortunately passed away but not before he sired some really great barrel horses too so there's there's just a ton of thoroughbreds in the western industry that people may not be aware of but they are out there. Very cool. I think this has been absolutely fascinating. And I definitely didn't know the difference between kind of that more cow stock breeding versus more of the Western barrel racing sport that there is that percentage difference. So I learned something new today. Thank you for that. Where do you do your research at? If people want to look into their bloodlines for their horse and kind of see 
who made them what they are. Do you have any resources that you recommend people to reach out to for that? Well, I use the traditional resources a lot, which would be Aquabase and Equine Line. And I'm probably on Equine Line more than anybody I know who isn't a breeder themselves. I I use that a lot. Um, otherwise, I have some really cool old books that prior to the 1970s, the thoroughbred wasn't as stereotyped in the Western industry. So if you can get your hands on old books that predate that kind of negative stigma that arose, they have some really great information in there about thoroughbreds that were influential. Uh, the books that Western Horsemen puts together, uh, their uh, series, the legend series, it's called. There are several thoroughbreds in there. A lot of those articles that they have in there are older. So they really tell a full uh, story about each of those horses. And those are great to have if you're looking for something older. But otherwise, um, I really just use the internet and dive into the depths of the internet <laughs> to find information about some of these horses. And really, Facebook isn't a bad resource either because. Uh, if you search long enough, you can find some horses that are competing that have these strong thoroughbred bloodlines. You just got to look long and hard enough. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for putting the work into it. I mean, I love a good history lesson. So if anyone else does as well, make sure to check out the westernthoroughbred.com where you can find the blog post. We'll actually put it in our show notes too. And Caitlin, where can people reach out to you if they have any questions? Uh, you can actually just message the Western Thoroughbred on Facebook. I'm usually pretty quick to answer that if I'm not at work. And any questions you have about breeding, uh, even if you have a thoroughbred that rides Western that you would like us to showcase on our page, we will gladly do that if you just send us a inf- uh, message with some information. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Bates Saddles offer highly specialized saddles for every discipline, engineered to bring out the best in you and your horse. Underneath the finest European leather, you will feel the power of innovation. For you, the rider, enjoy instantaneous comfort, optimal balance, and seamless contact with your horse, leaving you free to concentrate on your aids. I've been riding in a Bates Saddle for a year now, and I can say my horse and I both love it. You will adore the saddle. Your horse especially will love the care cushion system and easy change fit solution to ensure their absolute comfort and their peace of mind. Revolutionize your riding experience and fulfill your true potential by riding in a bait saddle. Visit baitsaddles.com to find out more. That's baitsaddles.com. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am so excited to have Sarah Coleman on from New Vocation to bring us some pretty fantastic news. You guys adopted like a record number of horses it's crazy we were talking about that earlier joy i know Isn't it's wild oh <laughs> my gosh like you need an award it's how a- many <laughs> <laughs> so we sent 60 home so 60 went out the door on the last day of the month by the last day of the month and we actually had quite a few others who were waiting for rides home but we couldn't include them in our tally because they were still on our different farms 
So I, I will tell you, we were all very, very surprised, pleasantly surprised, clearly. But, you know, we all have been, I think everywhere, we've all been kind of preparing for, you know, potentially a, a downturn in adoptions, a downturn in donations as people are dealing with the COVID pandemic. And man, I'll tell you, we, we did very, very well, definitely with the horses. So we actually have open stalls for the first time literally oh ever don't that say I know, that that's I amazing know. though that is <laughs> don't fantastic. say that <laughs> so and we feel you know and, and really it's good because we feel very prepared that you know if racing delays opening longer the tracks you know if it's just training and no racing that we're we are prepared we've got room to take the horses in as they are being retired so it is definitely a shocker truly and we're actually ironically we're getting ready to send out a survey to ask people you know wh- what is it it was it the virtual meet and greets that we did, you know, was it us being more heavily on social media and people having time, you know, what is it and what, yeah, can we what's going on? Do? What do you think it is? What do you think it is? What would your guess be right now? So I would think personally, it was a combination of them being on Facebook more and us doing those meet and greets because, you know, we can put up pictures and videos all day long, but when it's Leandra or Laura or one of our other trainers who are have the horse in hand and it's real time, I think people really can see the horse's personality a little bit more. And, you know, when you talk to people, you kind of get a gauge on their personalities as well. And I think people really trust our trainers. You know, they're not they're not going to, you know, sugarcoat anything for sure. And and that's been really cool. We We are hoping, 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 fingers crossed, that we'll be able to start some like mini training videos, like how you guys were talking earlier about how well received when Leandra talks about how she works through certain issues with retired racehorses. That's really what we're hoping to do. Just real short, you know, two to five minutes. This is what the issue is. This is how we work through it here in Lexington. You, you know, better tag online. retired racehorse radio <laughs> I know. on that one and be, give us a plug because yeah. we invented Oh that my gosh. <laughs> yes, you did. No, absolutely. And, and we absolutely will. And, you know, it's what, and you guys know how it is. It's, you always have these big ideas and sometimes life just gets in the way, you know, you got really busy and, and things like that. But I will, I will say, you know, in Lexington in particular, we have always adopted horses out sight unseen quite a few, um, definitely more than half. And, and what I want to know is when we do the survey is, you know, what was, what was the final thing that made you feel confident in adopting from us sight unseen because we can't let anybody on the farm, you know? So I'm, I'm very interested to see what, what their responses will be. I'm just curious, you know? Definitely. I think it's just such an achievement and a little bit of hidden information too, as I'm putting all the shows together before it goes out, I always get a message from Leandra, which horse we're going to feature and her last email. (laughs) She's like, okay, I have this one horse because I have a backlog of horses I have to put online, but they're all being close to being adopted. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They are, they are. We always, you know what I always tell people, like, don't worry, put your application. in." we actually ended up having our, our applications processor. She's like the cutest thing in the world. Um, we, she normally has, you know, a hundred, maybe a hundred applications a month. Um, she had 225 in April and May thus far has not slowed down. So she is going bang gangbusters. And we're really hoping that May will be, you know, just as good of a, of a month with adoptions as, as April was. Fantastic. Well, congratulations to you guys on that. And especially for getting really creative during this time, you know, we're really Thank proud of you. you and we're happy to have you as a partner for that. 
And you have some more exciting news too. You guys a horse show for people to look forward to this fall. Like all <laughs> the good do. things. <laughs> right. I know. I'm like, we all need something to look forward to right now is like quarantines is grinding everybody down. So we are we actually split out our hunter jumper and our dressage show this year. Um mostly because the show was just becoming such a beast that people were kind of having to pick and choose what they did. And we really would like them to be able to, you know, compete in everything that they would want to. So our uh, Hunter Jumper show is September 3rd through the 6th. We actually start on Thursday night this year with a welcome stake, which we're really excited about under the lights and the Rolex. And then our dressage show will actually be actually be the first weekend in October, the third and fourth, which of course, if you follow racing, you know that that is now the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness States. <laughs> so it's a great thoroughbred weekend. Hope that it's a, <laughs> right? So we're trying to put the Derby on the Jumbotron and the Rolex is what we'd really like to do. Um, and just in my head, I just can't think of a better way to really pay homage to these horses. You know, we're going to watch the best of the best on the Jumbotron, hopefully, and then the ring will be filled with all of them and, you know, all these retired thoroughbreds and second careers. It just is in the, you know, in the heart of horse country. It just is so such a full circle, you know, story, I think. Oh, it'll be such an experience for sure. And are you guys, when will you open that up for people to start putting their entries in or look at, you know, what class they'd want to do? When is that going to start Absolutely. So we, our goal, we are trying to finalize our social distancing guidelines, and then we will put our prize list online. It is a monster. It's 48 pages right now with all of the descriptions. Um, and then that we are going to do online entries this year. So those will open right now. We're slated for the middle of July and they will run through the middle of August. So, and once they're, you know, once they're closed, they're closed, which is kind of how we've run the last couple couple years is just, you know, we do have a deadline, unfortunately, just for, to be able to figure out rings and class sizes and that kind of stuff. But, um, but we give everybody lots of warning. <laughs> so it won't, it's not, it won't only be open for 24 hours, we promise. Oh, perfect. So we'll definitely post that too, as you guys get closer to it, but definitely something to look forward to doing this time. I know our listeners are just itching to have show season back. It's <laughs> I bet you know, most of us have already gotten that first show out of the way and you know, we're all a bit delayed. So something to look forward to for sure. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And we really appreciate you guys as always. Thank you for letting us come on and chat with you. Of course. So Sarah, we're going to let you go because we're going to learn about a new adoptable horse that is going to tempt Jamie and I and everyone else who's listening (laughs) today. But thank you so much Um, for coming on for these amazing updates. As usual, we have Leandra on to talk about our adoptable horse of the week, but I've got to surprise her with a training question first. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't tell her what we're going to talk about at all. I just throw it out there. So my question is, Leandra, today, what is one of the most common issues that you see with horses coming off the track to you, and what do you do to fix it? It's broad. I know. So, <laughs> um, training issues, right? Yeah. So, any, any sort of issue. What is like the most common thing that, oh, this one, another one has this or does this? I would say one of the most common things we see is a horse who's heavy on the forehand. And that's pretty common and understandable given their training on the track and what their job was there. Mm -hmm. they 
have a focus obviously on speed work and while they engage their hind end, obviously to get the push off component, they heavily use the shoulder drag muscles and are really taught to lean into the bit because obviously that can be beneficial and think about like coming down final stretch and you're reaching for the finish line and just the nose can make a difference. So poking their noses out or being really heavy in the forehand is common and totally acceptable and, 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 you know, can be beneficial in their careers as a racehorse. So to switch gears and ask them to come back for all the multifaceted things that we want them to do, which might require that shift of distribution, um, especially towards the hind end when you're asking for more advanced movements and say dressage, or you're asking them to really rock back on their hind end for jumping or um, just transferring things back a little bit. Like that sort of collected movement wouldn't really be necessary, obviously, in their careers as a resource. So in addressing that, really one of the major components is patience just because you're you're teaching them something that is very different from how they were taught and to ask a horse to move forward into your hand but also have your hand there as a holding measure obviously you want to have the suppleness and the fluidity as a goal but to them it can feel like asking them to go forward and to come back at the same time. So you understand the like driving and halting motions. If you're breaking it down to its essence, that that resistance in the bit, they can understand as just, this is how I stop, or this is how I'm asked to stop Mm -hmm. is basic, like having that pressure in the bit and it's backwards movement. So it's common for them to get frustrated because they're trying to understand, but you're asking them, you know, maybe in their brain forward and backward at the same time. So um, really timing is key, you know, acknowledging little baby steps, like when they take even that split second where the pressure comes off. So say you're keeping leg on and you're holding your hand and, I never really have a a tight rein. Like I think people would probably be surprised with how loose I carry my reins all the time. Um, But you're setting a boundary when you're asking them to learn how to accept that bit aid and come back like that. Um, So being able to provide the release will stop them from bracing. It will stop them, hopefully, from having a more volatile reaction like rearing, which they can do if they feel trapped, because again, they can perceive that as being asked to go forward and backward at the same time. So I always try to start slow into it, like incorporated into walking and teaching them basic things like how to back up. A lot of them don't really get that, but that will definitely feed until that same ability to come back. And then you're working in forward motion to that. But it's really, I think, like I say, patience, because your difference might not be noticeable right away, but you're again setting the foundation for the learning that will be more evident in the future. So that is definitely one of the most common things that I see in trying to rework a horse and retrain a horse 
for a different career path when we're, we'll be asking them for more collected movement. And doing that really is going to be a little bit different for every horse, but I think the understanding of why horses can be frustrated or why they might not get it right away it is key, and then patience is the other thing that will turn that key, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, as always, you will have an answer for everything. And we are, uh, <laughs> I, we were talking to Sarah and she said, you guys might kind of get these questions into like little, um, video clips or something like that to post online. And you just better, you know, give us credit for like the idea. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that's, we're always trying to figure out what questions you know, in order to answer your questions, we're trying to figure out what people would be asking. And this is just the perfect tester for that. It's like, what, what do people want to know? <laughs> What's she so, going to say yeah, now? <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about our winner's circle adoptable horse of the week. And, um, he has a beautiful name. His name is unnamed. He's not named. <laughs> you can, he's out of a mare, uh, passion mare and he was the 18 Colt. So he is only two years old. His name is unnamed passion. 18, um, is what y'all are calling him. And he is two years old, but what, what are y'all feeding him? Good God. He looks like he's six. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's growing like a weed. Uh, I I'll probably have to give the most credit to the Kentucky bluegrass because that, especially this time of year, will make any of them bloom. But he, we, we definitely can't take all the credit for it because he is just a big boned guy. And it's no surprise given that his sire is Union Rags, who's a big chunker at 16 three hands and just built like a brick house. So just, I, there's genetics in there. Obviously we're thrilled with a tribute grain that we feed them and Kentucky bluegrass right there. <laughs> Man, but, what that magic is that? I mean, that's just, yeah, yeah just, I would kill to have my two-year-olds look full and healthy. And uh, so tell us a little bit about him. Have, have you guys, did he race? What, what's the story? So he didn't race. And, and that's why he's able to still be unnamed. Um, what he's got is a unique situation that, you know, we see a lot of horses in the program. So I'm always sort of intrigued by the ones who have situations that I haven't seen before. And this is one of those where he has irregularly large veins in his right front leg. And the people who donated him in hopes to get him in the pointed in the direction of being a racehorse had actually done surgery to try to correct the blood flow to that was making these veins irregularly large, but it didn't fix it. His body just wants to be like that. But at this point, it's just a cosmetic issue. Um, but it kind of makes that leg look a little lumpier, but if you're not looking for it, you don't really see it. So his, Race Connections had decided to retire him from his pursuits of being a racehorse and sent him to us. And fortunately, he had already been started, so we didn't even have to cover that. And by started, I mean backed. So he had already been ridden. He had months of work under saddle already. So for us, you know, as for two-year-olds, we generally aren't doing that much under saddle work with them just because they've got so much time ahead of them and we really want to match them with somebody who is capable of doing a lot of retraining parts. So we 
did a lot of groundwork with him. We have sat on him and he's really easy to work with under saddle. His personality on the ground is definitely that of the class clown. That's his personality through and through. So he has some babyish mouthiness, but he is just genuinely a good, sweet horse who's just like a, a little kid. He's just likes to investigate new situations. He's really curious, He's very brave. We'd put him through the jump through jump shoot over little tiny jumps and he just tackles every challenge we throw at him with zeal so we're just thrilled with how he's progressing and I think he's going to grow up to be a really stinking handsome guy just from the way he looks already and he's just built to to be a sport horse I think I just see stars in his future he is really uh, impressive looking. So there's no, I've never heard of a horse that had like large veins on a leg. What? I, I, I've never heard of that before. Yes. It's not common. Definitely not common. That is crazy. Okay. Well, it's not, it's, it's not hurting his performance. And so he's sound, he's healthy, he's happy, he's ready to go. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, you guys, this is like a steal. His adoption fee is a whopping 500 bucks. So go get yourself a, a union rags, baby. Oh my gosh, super yeah. impressive. Yeah. And as always, Leandra, it has been a pleasure having you on this episode. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. You can like us on Facebook. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. We're on Twitter at Horse Radio, and I have a Facebook page. It's called, ready? Get a pen. Flyover Farm, Jamie Jennings, Certified Monty Roberts Instructor. And my email is jamie at horseradionetwork.com. And if you'd like to find me on Instagram, my handle is joyhequestrian, or you can shoot me an email at joy at radionetwork.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Products, and Bait Saddles. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And spay, neuter, and geld. Stay healthy, y'all. 